Good morning, Alger Park Church, and, and to all of you that are joining us outside of this church family. What a joy to be with you this morning. As Pastor Stefan said, my first connection to this church is through my friend, Pastor Mary Holst, who, besides being a dear friend, has served as just an amazing mentor to me as I've begun my journey through seminary and have interned with Mary and her amazing team in campus ministries at Calvin University. But I also have another little connection to Alger Park Church, to this church. I happen to live in this neighborhood, in the Alger Heights neighborhood, and a year ago I decided to pick up running, or more accurately jogging, again, as part of my COVID exercise regime. And because I am a creature of habit, I have the exact same 3.17-mile route that I run every single time that I go out. And this church, your church, happens to be part of that route. And I will tell you that every time I see this building coming up in the distance, I feel so happy because seeing your church tells me that I've made it to the very last part of my run. And it gives me hope that I just might make it home for that last little part without having to walk. So after countless times of seeing this church from the outside, it is a joy to walk in this morning and to be in this beautiful worship space and to join all of you as we come together and now as we come around God's word to learn and to listen together. So I am I'm so glad to be with all of you this morning. Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Luke. That is the third book in the New Testament. And so for those of you that are at home and want to follow along with us there, you're going to want to make your way to Luke 12. Uh, If you are not following along in your Bible at home, you can certainly follow along here. We'll have the words printed for you um, on the screen. And just to set the context, I'm going to start with the first verse in Luke 12, and then we will jump to Luke 13. Verse 13. Verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, "Ah, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
In the middle of last March, just as the snow-covered ground of western Michigan was beginning to give way to spring, the devastating reality of coronavirus found its way to our doorstep. Within a matter of days, life as we knew it changed completely. Businesses closed, schools closed, phrases like shelter in place and six feet apart and social distance became as familiar to us as our own names. But before we retreated into our homes and parked our cars and pulled those dusty puzzles off the shelf and settled in for what ended up being very long days ahead, there was one last quest on everyone's mind. What was it that consumed the minds of our nation as we headed into the worst health crisis that any of us have ever known? It was toilet paper. Seemingly overnight, toilet paper became our national obsession. No grocery store could keep up with the demand. Shelves were empty, customers were angry, and the supply chain completely broke down under unprecedented desire. Even Costco, the de facto national symbol for excess and abundance, found itself with aisles of empty pallets. People began to panic, to stockpile, to spend ridiculous amounts of money on the cheapest variety of tissue. In just a matter of days, our whole world seemed to revolve around finding and protecting this one precious commodity. It seems a little ridiculous to us today, doesn't it? After the year that we've had, after the loss of lives, the grief, the fatigue, the hardship that we all endured, toilet paper? That's what we really all cared about so much? Today in our text, we meet two men who have become consumed with finding and protecting their one precious commodity. The one thing that they think will give them hope and security and value and life. As the story opens today, Jesus finds himself in the middle of a very large and agitated crowd. People are pushing and shoving and even trampling over each other to get close to this rabbi, to hear what he's saying to those disciples that are gathered near. And in the midst of this crowd, one man elbows and pushes and shoves his way towards Jesus. And as soon as he is within earshot range, he raises his voice above the crowd. And he demands, Jesus, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. The request is not an unusual one. Arguments about inheritance were often brought before a rabbi when families couldn't solve them on their own. The inheritance meant land, and land meant survival. It meant life. Jesus hears the man's forceful voice rising above the noise in the crowd, and his response is as quick and as pointed as the man's demand. Watch out for greed, he says. Don't you know that life is so much more than what you own? 
We can sense the crowd getting quieter. Where is Jesus heading? Why hasn't he answered the man's request about inheritance? And then Jesus tells him this story. A rich landowner wakes up one morning to find his field full of grain. Seemingly overnight, the land itself has produced an abundance of produce. And the landowner begins his calculations. As he looks out over his field from the high window of his estate, he realizes that he has a big problem. He doesn't have enough room to store all that abundance. What can I do? The landowner starts thinking about his problem, and he paces back and forth with a furrowed brow, the question going over and over and over in his mind. What can I do with all that abundance? And suddenly the solution comes to him. Ah, this is it. I'm brilliant. He runs outside and he calls all his servants to himself. And he says, starting today, I want all my barns torn down. And I want you to build bigger ones, double the size. No one goes home until every last piece of my grain is stored in my new barns. And the man is giddy as he watches his barns being built up and up and up. He watches with delight as bag after bag after bag of grain gets put into his pristine new buildings. And after months of work, when every last piece of grain is stored inside those beautiful new barns, the man sends everyone home. And he goes inside the largest barn and he locks the door. And he is delighted. This is it. I've made it. It's all for me. This is the life. But even as the words are coming out of his mouth, the rich man has an unexpected visitor. Because through the locked doors of his barn comes a loud voice. You fool, the voice says. Tonight is the last night of your life. Take a look around. What in the world was all of this for? We can imagine the puzzlement on the face of the crowd as the story sinks in. And then the slow smiles that perhaps creep across their faces. Ah, oh, yes, we get it, Jesus. We get the point. The joke's on him. How could he not see what he was doing? How could he have kept all that grain for himself? Look how sad that is. Thinking he'd found the good life and dying alone on top of all those riches. And like the crowd, we're glad to be outside of the narrative, glad to hear such a masterfully crafted moral story. Ah, that poor landowner. He just didn't get it, did he? And then we pause. And we start to feel just a little bit uncomfortable. Because without us really wanting to acknowledge it, we sense that perhaps we have a few storehouses of our own. 
A few places in our life where we are desperately trying to shore up some kind of resource that will make us feel safe, protected, that will somehow give us the rich life. For most of us, that place isn't a storehouse with grain. No, our storehouses come with different names, don't they? Some of us fill up our homes and our garages and our closets with the trendiest clothes and the newest gadgets and the best new tools. Some of us fill up our bank accounts and our 401ks and our investment portfolios and we watch with a bit of delight as the numbers in those accounts go up and up and up. Sometimes we have storehouses that are harder to see. We fill our resumes and our applications and our Twitter feeds with tangible, commendable achievements. We collect good grades, high test scores, vocational accolades like they're little trophies on our shelf. Sometimes, as we've seen in our country in the last few weeks, we collect things like power and privilege and personal strength. Some of us hoard and protect control over our time, collecting in mass anything that feeds our own desires, our own comfort, our own esteem. And like the man who built the barns, we often find our whole lives circling around protecting and keeping what we think is ours. I need safety. I need comfort. I need security. These are the riches that will give me life. And even though it never quite seems like we have enough, we keep filling those storehouses, plugging our ears to the voice of Jesus as he says, oh, beware of greed. But every once in a while when we look around and we see overflowing closets and impersonal budget sheets and a list of our achievements on a flimsy piece of paper, we can feel a question rise out of the depths of our soul. A still small voice that breaks through our locked barn doors. What in the world is all of this for? Is this really life? But the story that Jesus tells doesn't end with a question. Jesus has one more thing to say to our boisterous friend in the crowd, this one who's elbowed and shoved his way into his presence. And Jesus' final words to this man don't answer his demand. They're not about his brother. They're not about his inheritance. They are about the orientation of his heart. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And in this one simple statement, Jesus offers a whole new vision for this man's life. He thinks it's about land, about filling a storehouse, about hoarding and protecting and fighting for his own riches. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, I have so much more to offer you than that kind of life. 
At the heart of Jesus' warning to this man is an invitation to trust and to freedom. You can be free from the pattern of this world, the pattern that makes you believe that life is about land or life is about grain or life is about riches or life is about full storehouses. I am life. Trust me. Open the storehouse doors. Let me show you a rich life. Jesus invites the man into the crowd into a life of richness with God. A life where his vision and his focus and his energy and even his resources all move within a holy relationship of love. Offered and directed to a God of love. Ah, beloved one, we can hear Jesus say in this warning to this man, this is what life is really about. And that same voice that reaches so tenderly to the man in the crowd breaks through into our reality today. Jesus says to us, You live your life like it's about clothes or technology or money or grades or achievement or power or ease. I have so much more to offer you than that kind of life. Trust me. Beloved one, I am inviting you into a life of richness with me. But what does it look like to live a life of trust with God, a life where we are rich towards God? I mean, how do we really do it? We can't deposit our money into God's bank account. We can't offer him the clothes from our closet. We can't really hand him our resume and say, hey, go get a good job on me, God. How do we live this kind of life, a life where we are rich towards God? I have a dear friend who lives in this neighborhood just a few blocks from here. When she heard a few years ago of a young mother who was unable to get her kids to and from school because she didn't have a car, my friend offered this mom her own car, leaving her without a car of her own to drive for several months. I have another friend who grows the most beautiful flowers in her backyard garden. And every morning in the summer, she gets up early and she goes into her backyard and she cuts three or four bouquets of the most beautiful flowers, placing them in little simple tin can vases on her counter so that if at any time during the day she encounters someone who needs an extension of friendship or a reminder that there is still beauty in the world, she has flowers ready to give. I have another dear friend who's lived on the edge of poverty for much of her life, even experiencing homelessness a few years ago when two of her children were young. She and her husband work so hard to just provide for their sweet little family. And yet a year ago when my husband had an accident that left him without work for over three months, that friend showed up at my back door and she held out a $100 bill You need this more than we do, she said. How do we practice a life defined by richness towards God? 
God tells us that whatever abundance we find ourselves with, whether that's land or grain or a car or flowers or a $100 bill, we live a life rich towards him when we hold those things loosely and we share them generously. When we trust that the God who has provided abundance will provide it again. This is the freedom that God invites us to. Because it turns out that we were never meant to be locked storehouse kind of people. We were never meant to be people who look out for ourselves, who are rich towards ourselves. We are invited into a life where we get to drop the bondage that comes when we try to hold and protect and keep and accumulate. This is the freedom that opens the doors to the rich life that God longs to give us. And when we join into this kind of life, this life where our eyes and our hearts and our hands and our possessions are oriented toward God, we bind ourselves to the pattern of God himself. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Christ was truly God, but he did not try to remain equal with God. Instead, he gave up everything and became a slave when he became like one of us. In the person of Jesus Christ, God literally opened the storehouse of heaven. And he poured out his most precious commodity to the world. He refused to keep the treasure to himself. And when Jesus climbed onto the cross and he died for our salvation, he in turn poured out the riches of his love and his mercy and his goodness for us. This is the DNA that we have in our bones. This is the kind of life that we were made for. The story of the rich fool reminds us that all the things we put our trust in, all the things we try to build our lives around, money, possessions, time, power, comfort, they are as futile as that roll of toilet paper. They don't save us. They don't protect us. And they will never, ever give us life. There is not one thing that we can put in our storehouse that will ever compare to the extravagant, rich love of Jesus Christ. It's that love that frees us to be rich towards the world and towards the only one that's worthy of our affection. And next to that kind of love, everything else looks as flimsy as a roll of toilet paper. So open those storehouse doors. Trust in the God of abundance. Lean into a life of freedom and richness with your God. And as you do, hear the voice of Jesus saying to you, Ah, beloved one, this is what life is really about. Will you pray with me?
God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In a world that wants to offer us so many false narratives about what constitutes a good life, a rich life, God, we need your word. We praise you today for being a God of abundance, for being a God of faithfulness, for being a God worthy of our trust. And in your goodness, God, in your tenderness, we pray that you would search our hearts. God, reveal to us if there are places where we are building our own storehouses, places where we are trusting ourselves, God, where we are being rich towards ourselves. And God, give us a holy vision for what it looks like for each of us to live lives of richness with you. Open our eyes, God, to places where your abundance could be extended. Fill us with a sense of joy and delight and creativity, God, as we seek to be people who pattern ourselves after you. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.